Yes, I can hear you fine. I even have the uh, recording arms this time. Okay. So that's fantastic. We are. We're getting getting used to this. I know. Uh, I hope we're not getting used to the quality of movies that we're settling into for 28, 29. You know, it's interesting from a historical standpoint, if nothing else, you know? That's a good point. Yeah. 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 Anyway, on that positive note, hello! <laughs> Hi! And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award rustling. We're rustling movie awards here because oh, yeah. we are covering today in episode, I believe it is 008. Ooh. What's it called again? In old in, Arizona. In old it's Arizona. Right there, my God. <laughs> it's okay. I keep calling it the Cisco Kid. So, titles, what are they? I know, right? Wait a second. I don't think we introduced ourselves. I think we skipped that part. I'm Laura. I'm Jason. Okay. And uh, yeah, welcome to our podcast. We're going to start talking about in old Arizona. Yeah, there we go. You go for it. Okay. So how do you even start with this movie? Um, Well, it's a Western, which kind of deflated my hopes to begin with, since Westerns aren't my favorite genre. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're, you know, my absolute favorite, but I I do appreciate a good Western, so... I mean, yeah. It, it's it's not 100% your bias, I assure you. No, it's... Something about them just kind of makes me always a little depressed. I don't know what it is and bored. I can't say this was <laughs> totally an exception to that, although it wasn't your typical Western, I think. It did focus more on uh like story and uh character than I was expecting but it still didn't really ring my bell. No, I mean, mine neither. It in old Arizona is not quite I don't know how to explain it like not quite a movie. <laughs> um it it just has too many just gaps and disjointed scenes put together to the point where we're not even sure of the character's motivations a lot of the time. Well, this is the first sound movie, like you pointed out, that was filmed outside. So I think there was a lot of grappling with, you know, the outer elements. Although I do have to say, I looked it up on IMDb, it was not filmed, any of it, in Arizona, California, and Utah, actually, were the uh, oh. settings. Which is sad because, like, the fact that it's in Arizona has very little to do with the plot. True, true. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know why they didn't just call it Caballero's Way, which was the uh, title, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, of the O. Henry uh, short story. But, right, right. Um, I guess Caballero was probably too difficult for most white audiences back then. Oh, you mean the Caballero? Um, yeah, there's a... There's some poorly pronounced Spanish in in this movie. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, that's you know, I it's this this is like the opposite of the racket for me. I thought the racket would have made a better sound film. I think this would have made a better silent film. I can see that, and it's in this weird zone where you can kind of tell it's almost half and half. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least that's how it struck me. Uh, there are scenes that clearly would have worked better as silent films, and would have worked better as a silent film. And I feel like they probably planned it that way. Yeah. As a silent movie. But then there are other parts where, you know, they really wanted to showcase the sound to varying degrees of success mm-hmm. in, in terms of like just the very baseline of, of getting voices recorded uh, just for reference. 
we had to watch this with subtitles. Yeah. And it was very, because it was very difficult to hear. And that is not because of the print that we were using. No. Because the subtitles themselves often said indistinct talking. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was ambitious. I admire their ambition in filming outdoors. But to do that with such new equipment. Right. That they hadn't even perfected on the soundstage at that point. Just didn't quite do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were certain people's voices that you could hear just fine. Um, um, Mrs. Gulch. It wasn't actually Mrs. Gulch. There is a woman who looks a lot like Margaret Hamilton in the beginning, but it wasn't her. Unfortunately. Right. The similar voice. Similar, uh, similar voice, similar face. Uh, lots of jokes are made at her expense about how not pretty she is. This film had issues. Yeah, this film did not like women. No, it does not like women at all. I feel feel comfortable just coming right out and saying that. Yeah. And like Laura just mentioned, uh, it it does include brown face. Which, you know. For two of the major characters. Two of the three major characters. Two of the three major characters, two of them are in brown face, which is enraging. What can he do? Yeah, it's... It's not like filming in California. You couldn't have found like an actual Mexican actor. <laughs> no, but, no, no. Yeah, obviously not. Ah, uh, gosh. Okay. So let's cover the the summary of the plot a little bit here. Mm-hmm. The uh, now I'm working off of Laura's notes, so if if it reads kind of weird, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I can just read it if you want, but it's up to you. Why don't you go ahead? Because you actually have some like pretty insightful things in here that I can't give background to. So mm, yeah, that's yeah. For example, I don't know of any Western ballads by Marty Robbins. Oh, you haven't heard of El, pa- El Paso? Da, 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 something El Paso. Da, yes, da, I have. Da, 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 da. I had to look up his name because all I remembered was the El Paso. So, anyways, let's get to it. In Old Arizona was directed by Irving Cummings and based on O. Henry's short story, The Caballero's Way. The story plays like an old country and western ballad by, you guessed it, Marty Robbins. He wrote El Paso. Oh, so before we even get further on, I have a little tidbit of uh, trivia for you. Okay. Originally, the uh, director for this movie was not um, Irving Cummings. It was somebody associated with, believe it or not, um, Birth of a Nation. Raoul Walsh, right? Yep. Yep. He was going to play the Cisco Kid too, but he lost his eye. So he was out of the running. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of a happy ending. I mean, how? Well, because the guy from Birth of a Nation couldn't direct it because oh, he I lost understand. an eye. I got you. Yeah, no, that, yeah. And he, I, I was at first like, oh, well, Raul, I mean, I think that could be a, a Latino name. That would have been cool to have a Latino late. No, that was a stage name. He was like, had Irish parents or something. So, right. yeah, everything about that was stupid. So. <laughs> <laughs> I And it was, it was weird. I read like the car accident was like because a rabbit went through his windshield. Yeah, like a rabbit. And so, uh, yeah, he had to wear like an eye patch for the rest of his life. That's I kind of, well. Kind of like the idea of an avenging rabbit taking, taking you know, good righteous vengeance for birth of a nation. Oh. Anyway, so the rabbit got got a uh, got their revenge. Anyways, yeah, good job, rabbit. 
good good job for blinding this guy <laughs> only in one eye only in one eye that's true and he did have a very very successful career as a director later on so yeah so it was enough pity for Raoul Walsh yeah who's not even involved in this anymore? not even involved in this why, anymore. why did I even bring it up well I was I was actually why, planning why? to later so you know what we just got it out of the way got him out of our system there we go okay so what happens with with these um people trying to rip off O. Henry here okay they do credit him. They, they don't really rip they him do, off. They do, like in the credits, yeah. The Cisco Kid, played in brownface by Warner Baxter, is a charming, dashing bandit who steals not from the individual, but from the collective, and often pays back the community. The majority mm-hmm. of his loot, at least the pretty things, go to his enamorada Tonya, whom he's fixated on, and played by Dorothy Burgess in her first film. And guess what? She's also in brownface. Tonya, kept by the kid in a house, rather isolated from the rest of the village and looked after by a beleaguered old woman, has tired of her restricted life and plots to get away. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the Cisco kid has ownership of this town, it almost feels like. Yes, yes. Or at least you get that sensation because the blacksmith very casually at some point just reveals who he is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the barber doesn't know who the Cisco kid is at all. Really? I must have missed that part. I thought he was in on it, but I actually, yeah, I think you're right. I think he didn't know. Um, Yeah. The, the movie is not nearly as cohesive as, mm -mm. as you should get credit for. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. His, his beloved Tonya is, I don't know. She struck me as a very strange character just because they had her playing the evil vamping lady mm-hmm. from the very beginning slut shamed her big time the first time we see her she's rushing a lover out of her house because the cisco kid is coming so she's just yeah very strange portrayal of a woman who one i think is in very sympathetic circumstances yeah she's clearly supposed to be the villain you're supposed to like both the cisco kid and the army sergeant that's trying to hunt him down you're supposed to not like Tonya, but Tonya either like she veers from maybe semi likable to baffling to I mean, she's kind of all over the place, but never did I ever, sh- never did she strike me as, oh, this is truly a terrible person. I mean, I think. I mean, I don't think this was really the director's intention, but from what we're given, the impression is this is a woman who is being kept in a house by herself, except for this old woman who I thought at first was like her mom, but is no relation to her and is working for the the Cisco kid. Mm-hmm. So she's just kept there. And really her only outlet to society that she's allowed is the Cisco kid who comes and spoils her and lavishes all these gifts on her with the, or, you know, the understand that like, so you better put out for me. So she's really basically like a, like a sex toy for him. He's told him, he tells himself he's in love with her. And so and who knows how many years he's had her. It could have started when she was quite young. So I feel like she's just been, her ego has just been kind of warped. She said she calls herself the most beautiful girl in town. She obviously has a few lovers who probably tell her the same thing, who are her only social outlet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, rather than evil, I just see her as very unstable and just trying to stay alive. If we want to get hyper psychoanalytical about this and 
this makes the movie even less fun. Like that is the behavior of an abused person. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there is. Yeah, I she does not strike me as like a woman of the world femme fatale who's in control of everything. She has really no control. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. So that's two of our. Two of three our big character. three characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, let, let's meet Big Casino, which is his very self-proclaimed nickname. Yeah, uh, no one calls him that except for himself, except for as himself. far as I can remember. Yeah, no, it's it's just him. Uh, All-American douchebag Sergeant Mickey Dunn, a.k.a. Big Casino, who I will admit is played charmingly enough by Edmund Lowe, but he's still a pretty I, awesome character. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you disregard the words actually coming out of his mouth um yeah he's just he has been assigned to track down the cisco kid and unknowingly encounters him in a barber shop which we have just referenced uh this uh where cisco kid offers to pay back everything that was stolen from the barber by the cisco kid and uh he and and this big casino get along famously and they plan to meet up later at a bar which is you know for a date for a date pretty much it's rife again these early hollywood films really were not subtle with the homoeroticism i mean the Hayes <laughs> code was just starting to rear up watching movies like this and then but then he learns right after from the village blacksmith that hey that guy who just walked away he was the cisco kid you dummy yeah and but it doesn't even seem to bother him that much it's like oh well golly me yeah pretty much i mean he's maybe still a little bit charmed yeah. So still looking forward to that date, hoping that it happens. <laughs> like, you know, who doesn't want to go on a date with a bad boy? That's true. Hey, uh, yeah, but the kid realizes, because, I mean, he was playing him the whole time because he knew the sergeant is after him. So he sends Tonya into the village to tell Dunn that he was called out of town. And uh, Tonya, you know, waltzes in. And again, she almost acts like a kid trying to act grown up. Um you know, she, she when you say she waltzes in, it's important to clarify that she waltzes everywhere that she goes. She does. She has. And again, this is probably some very offensive uh, Latina stereotyping, you know, because she has the right. whole, you know, sway and sachet and everything as she enters the bar. Yeah, she does look like she's doing a dance. Yes. Everywhere she goes. Everywhere she goes. And it looks ridiculous. <laughs> it does. It's I'll go into this more later, but I don't think Burgess was very good. And even putting aside <gasps> the brown face, um, but she wa- she sways over to uh, uh, to Dunn, who uh, and she's offended that he kind of dismisses her and treats her like any other common woman, as she puts it. She's very adamant, and again, I think this shows her instability. That I am the most beautiful girl in this town. Every man falls in love with me. And, you know, years of listening to Cisco's flowery speeches, of which there are many, praising her charms has really warped her ego. And she's both incensed but intrigued by Dunn's casual dismissiveness. He just treats her like, oh, sure, sit down, have a drink with me, doll, like she's any other, you know. Yeah, and we're still supposed to like him, though. And that's where I kind of got lost on the movie a little bit. I I thought that the movie at that point was trying to make uh, Sergeant Dunn the villain. I think that would have been a much better direction to go in, frankly. Because uh, uh, the Cisco kid up to this point has been portrayed pretty 
pretty admirably. Uh, he does hold up a stagecoach, but all he takes is um, the gold. It's like a big trove of gold that they're carrying around for Wells Fargo or something like mm-hmm. that. And he also buys a brooch off of one of the passengers. To give to Tonya. To give to Tonya. So it's like, oh, he gets something for his sweetheart and he's only like stealing from the big banks or something like that, basically. And when he finds out that, you know, part of what he stole belonged to this barber, he gives the barber all that he had back. Because he doesn't have any respect for that kind of thief. Exactly. And so he's portrayed as someone that you're kind of on the side on side of. And then you meet Tonya. And she's again, she just struck me as odd a lot Mm -hmm. of the times rather than villainous. Yes. So I so I thought like, okay, so clearly the fact that she is, uh, I guess, cheating on him, if that can even be a a way of thinking of it since she's trapped. But since she's seeing somebody else, I figure like, okay, that's going to come up later in some way or another. But. I thought. I quickly forgot about that and thought of the sergeant done as this guy who's just going to be played as a as a fool yeah against tonya because she clearly has some sort of power over him even though he's trying to be all macho i don't really care yeah about it yeah and um one thing I will say to this movie's credit is I don't think they're going out of their way to particularly uh, portray anyone as wholly sympathetic. I think the idea is to probably capture what O. Henry was going for. This is more of a like a just a picture of like what life might have been like in those old times and kind of more about, I guess, the tensions of those relationships. Yeah, I I can see that. I, and something tells me that the O. Henry story is a little bit more complex or at least lets you see the dynamics a little bit more easily. I feel like there was a lot of, frankly, overacting that kind of got in the way of the storytelling for this movie. Because, I mean, sometimes overacting is just kind of cringeworthy, but you still can follow the story just fine. Mm -hmm. In this movie, it just kind of made everything weird and and fuzzy you weren't quite sure what was trying to be conveyed well and this was a short story of a of o henry's and quite frankly the plot is pretty whisper thin so i feel like they just padded it out a lot with repeated lines with repeated lines little side stories that sometimes worked out like i enjoyed the uh <laughs> uh the the blonde drunk that uh, Don kind of puts the moves on in the bar who just says, oh, men are scum. She's just she's entertaining, but then disappears. Yeah. And we never see her again. So just little episodes like that that usually aren't that successful and are just clunky and make you forget what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It would have been. It would have been a better, shorter movie. Yeah, it really would. Like if it had been like an actual short, I think it would have been a lot more effective than the full length picture we got. Mm hmm. But anyways, so years of listening to Cisco's flowery speeches has made her, like I said, very, you know, warped in her ego. So she she leaves in a huff and goes to tell her uh, her keeper, uh, whose name I believe is Tonita, that she uh, absolutely dazzled this uh, soldier she saw. And he's just absolutely madly in love with her. And then a uh, pretty good bit. She hears uh, Dunn say, what else did I say, baby? 
and uh, <laughs> very Troy McClure. Very Troy McClure. He's a very Troy Troy McClure character, and uh, so she. Uh, She's embarrassed, but then realizes, oh, he's here to see me. I, it did work. And he is, but he also knows that she has ties now to Cisco Kid. So he decides to kind of play along a little and offers to take her away, you know, to the big city. She agrees. And we next see her at her at his camp with uh, his other like sidekick soldiers who are just there to talk about how great Big Casino is. And uh, to sing in close harmony. And sing in close harmony. <laughs> But she goes into his tent and finds the flyer for the $5,000 award for Cisco and realizes the truth that she's enraged. You're using me. You don't love me. He says, ah, no, baby, I do. And But to uh, sweeten the deal, if you want to tell me uh, where the kid is and get me to arrest him, I will give you the whole $5,000. And she's like, I live in a hellhole with and I'm trapped by this man who makes me love him. Yeah, I would like $5,000, please. But of course, this is portrayed as very villainous and uh, women, they're always going to stab you in the back. Yeah, I mean, the golden cage that she lives in is very, we're, we're the ones who are saying that it's probably not as nice as it is portrayed because we're supposed to think like, oh, well, she's, you know, she's given everything. How could she betray the beloved uh, Cisco kid? And of course, with a more modern or just insightful viewpoint of it, <laughs> you you suddenly like that villainous that we're supposed to see in her melts away because, yeah, if you're in that situation and you're given a chance to get out with five grand, which was, I don't know, did we calculate that back back in the day? Uh, it was substantial. I think it comes out to a heck of a lot of money. Okay, a heck of a dollars. Heck of a dollars. I mean, I it's it looks like she has no friends. She has this keeper. And it, so it's a bit like the princess locked in the tower. Yeah, the princess has a lot of finery, but she's trapped. And so she's like, yeah, I will go away with you and I will give up the kid. But unfortunately for Tonya, uh, Tonita, the old woman looking after the house, is more faithful or probably scared of the Cisco kid than he, she has any fealty to Tonya. Um, she warns him when he comes back and he eavesdrop on Tony and Don when they return to the house and his heartbreak and despair leads to the Marty Robbins-esque ironic climax. I want to get to the climax, but can we pause for a second about Tonita? Sure. Let's talk about Tonita because the, the one like actually sympathetic character I found. Oh my God. She it's because of her that I stopped really sympathizing with Cisco kid because he has them both trapped in this situation, basically. And yeah. The moment he comes in, he tells her to make him some ham and eggs. Yeah. Which is, um, fellas, if you're listening, don't do that. Don't do that. And she can't relax in this house because either the Cisco kid is in there with Tonya or another of her lovers. It's like she's an old woman. I know. She just wants to sit down and, and you know, read her stories. Maybe someone should make her some ham and eggs for a change. And you get the you, you do get the feeling that Tonya kind of bosses her around as well. Right. I mean, Tonya probably, I mean, just because she is a victim doesn't automatically make her a great person either she's obviously not that good of a person but how much of that is her and how much of that is the circumstances she's in yeah and 
Another thing that I just remember that I want to say before we go on is that um, there's a lot of spoken Spanish yeah. in this movie, but for some reason, some mysterious reason, uh, a lot of the times the two characters that allegedly speak Spanish don't speak it to each other, except for like in very short clips and phrases, and that's because the woman playing Tonio doesn't speak Spanish. Obviously, but, yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> The woman who but, plays Tonita is. And yes. So she speaks the most. Right. But I just found that so it that was another just like another element that was grating and and um irritating to me was that not only did they not speak Spanish to each other, they spoke in English as a second language. Mm-hmm. Um as if like they didn't know. Let's communicate in a language that we don't know as well. <laughs> I mean, I, I know why they did it that way. They wanted to make sure the audience could mostly understand, but be reminded these are, you know, Spanish-speaking folks. So we'll throw a few things that are probably easy to understand as a native English speaker, but not anything more complicated than that. Right. Well, I mean, I wasn't expecting them to like just stop and start speaking Spanish to each other because obviously it's an it's an English language movie. But what what was jarring was that they the insistent on the accent and um and the syntax mm-hmm. word choices and things like that to just kind of really hammer home it's like, yeah, these people, they're Mexican. Yep. They are Mexican. Isn't that fun? Isn't that exciting and exotic and risque for some reason? And I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm thinking like, ah, why, why can't you just have them? Like, they're clearly both capable of speaking English. Just have because, speak, yeah. because they also flip in and out of this dialect that you've invented for them. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of families back then probably did speak. A mix of English and Spanish, but probably not sure. in the way no. we're seeing. It, this might not be a totally accurate portrayal of no. Mexican-American interactions. No. <laughs> oh, and the, before we get to like the climax of the movie and everything like that, we also have to cover the um, the Portugal question. Oh, yeah. So his dad's from Portugal. What story? Because he tells, he keeps telling Tonya that he's going to take her to Portugal. Yeah, so apparently he, uh, Cisco Kid has come here from uh, Portugal, apparently. And I am not saying that nobody from Portugal knows Spanish. That's obviously not true. But I strongly got the feeling that the people either watching or producing this movie did not understand that people in Portugal do not speak Spanish. They speak Portuguese. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure it's the same country. (laughs) So anyway, there there was that. There was a lot of talk about don't worry, I'll take you back to Portugal. Um, which struck me. Say Spain, like what? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I guess Portugal was even more exotic. I guess, man. I don't know. Or and that was like another question too, was that he's like, Oh yeah, I left Portugal like, you know, basically to get away. It was no life for me. So now I want to run my way back once I'm finished with my life of crime. Yeah, there was a lot about this movie that didn't add up. No, and I think, again, it's the fact that this is a good plot for a short story by O. Henry. 
but it just doesn't have enough meat for a full length feature. So a lot of things won't add up. A lot of things won't make sense. It's like they decided to pad the movie. It's like they had a whole narrative and they removed crucial parts from it and then re-added yeah. filler. Yeah, I could see that. I can really see that. And I think it's it was an interesting approach. And I think I, I appreciate the efforts to kind of make the soldiers have a sort of camaraderie and banter. Um, but a lot of it was really outright offensive, the way they talked about Mexican women, uh, women Ooh, in general. Yeah. Uh, slurs are thrown around. Right. Like a, and, and again, if they had portrayed this as them being the villains, I'd have been like, okay, that makes sense. But yeah. It's just kind of thrown out there. It's just kind of thrown out there. And it's it's pretty disorienting. It's a disorienting kind of movie. It never quite yeah. finds its footing. Yeah. And they don't even set up a real tension. That's another thing about like the slurs and, and negative portrayal and things like that. There is clearly a tension between the the Latino community and this American base nearby. But it's kind of like the soldiers just hate them, kind of. But aside from that, it's just kind of blown over. And it's not even like a hate. It's just a contempt. You yeah, know, yeah. Just sort of a dismissive contempt. And I think this is supposed to be a period piece. I mean, I think it's supposed to take place like 30 years before 1929. So I think maybe they're trying to capture some of the more casual attitudes. They do show like the blacksmith kind of giving them the stink eye for how they're talking about the women of the town. I'm like, I'm asking, I don't know and there was anything wrong with the women in our town, but it's not, again, portrayed very seriously. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of hanging there uncomfortably. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, we want to make this statement. And they float it out there. And it goes nowhere. Yes. Yeah. So just, so instead what you do is you get this offensive statement that means nothing. Uh, yes. Yes. Which is kind of the worst. <laughs> of all the ways you could handle that, that's the, the least good. Yeah. But again, probably didn't even think it was offensive. They just because they just they obviously they didn't care to hire any actual Mexicans except uh, Tonita. And much like the characters in the film. The respect is given to Tanita by the filmmakers. So that kind of it, that's a capture. That's what's just really irksome about this movie is that it portrays the hard lives Mexican-Americans had to live because of probably people like Mickey Dunn and his crew. But they don't. But it's made by people who have the same attitudes. Oh, that's a good point. As Mickey Dunn and his crew. So. It's not really even a criticism it's more like look at the look at the situations these people get into like women like tonya men like cisco kid and they draw in poor good old all-american uh mickey dunn into their nonsense too and it's like and into and you also know that it's the love triangle that develops the uneven passionate part of that love triangle is between the two latinx characters mm-hmm and and not Sergeant Dunn. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's try to finish up the the moving gets to the climax. Um. Yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to like. Okay, I'll 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 just I'll just cover it. It's fine. It's not. 
after our glowing review, I seriously doubt anyone's going to rush out to watch this. <laughs> yeah. So I'm always, I, I'm, I never know how much to spoil yeah. something, but yeah, these are old movies. It's fine. It's out there. Uh, so the way that this ends is that uh, Sergeant Dunn is going to lie in wait and is actually is waiting back at all the way back at camp for some reason, waiting for Cisco Kid to return to Tonya. And Tonya at that point is supposed to alert him so he can go out and make the arrest or kill. Yeah, he told her, you know, I have no intention to capture him alive. So he's just going to straight up shoot Cisco Kid, which has its own little yeah. problems. But go on. Yeah, that's kind of called murder. It's kind of called just cold-blooded murder, yeah. So I don't remember how how does he unravel that Tonya is sweet on this sergeant. It's Tonita. So he comes back and Tonita flags him down. And says, like, she's in there with with the soldier. And so he listens and very conveniently, Tonya walks out with Dunn without seeing um, she, with the Cisco kid and says, oh, I hate him. He's a monster. I love You're only right. you. Uh, let's kill him. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, shoot. Yeah. And he tries very hard to kind of like give her various outs for it and kind of try to, I guess, tries to gauge if she was serious about what she was saying to the soldier, at least that's the way I interpreted it. Mm-hmm. Cause he's uh, very, very hung up on the idea that she's his great love. Exactly. And so she sends out a note via Tonita that, you know, Cisco kid is at my house, come here by 10 o'clock and he'll be, you know, ready to shoot. Cisco kid intercepts this message and writes his own saying, Yes, he's going to go out and he'll be dressed as Tonya, wearing a mantilla, or, if you will, as pronounced by the American Army Sergeant, mantilla. <laughs> I'm going to go eat myself up a tortilla. And the thing is, like, mantillas are not, I mean, maybe it was different at that time, but to me, they're only something that a woman wears at a wedding or, or Easter. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I have no clue what the fashion was back then. It might just be another, like, hit that these are uneducated folks who don't know when to wear certain nice things or not. But right. at, at any rate, so the, the mantilla is what is co- going to signal that's that Cisco kid wearing mantilla, not her. At least according to this note that Cisco kid is sending out. The whole plot being that, okay... She'll come out, she'll get shot, and he'll ride away. And I think it's important that that it's the two Latinx characters that plot to murder each other. Yes, that's a... So fiery and passionate. Absolutely. That's, that's <laughs> a, yeah, there's really no more to that than that, really. it's uh, I think Cisco Kid is supposed to be portrayed with as kind of having uh, more of a moral center than that, but I don't really see it. I mean, obviously the beginning we do, and I was all set up and prepared to like him until I saw his treatment of like Tonya and Tonita, and I realized, no, he is a jerk. So there's just no sympathetic character really in this movie, except for Tonita, and except for, I think, Tonya, even though she is supposed to be the person we like the least. Yeah, I mean, she's at least sympathetic. You feel bad for her. I mean, you're yeah. not you're not cheering for her to murder someone, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, if it's her captor, then yeah, yeah, go for <laughs> it. 
So that's that's the movie. That's in old Arizona. That's in old Arizona. And I should complete the story. Um, Sergeant Dunn shoots her. Yeah. So everything goes according to Cisco Kid's plan. But he, of course, is heartbroken because he had thought she was the great love of his life for some reason. And it reminds me of someone describing a trope of Westerns of the hero being victorious, but alone. Yeah, that's very much, yeah, the the epitome of this. Yeah, except for, I mean, usually you're cheering for the hero that's victorious but alone, and here you're just kind of like, well, that's not cool. I mean, yeah, she's He arranged him. Like, and so was she, but I feel like she had better reason because you were keeping her there captive, basically. I think he's supposed to also be kind of, you know, the ultimate Latin lover, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just all he does is talk to her about how beautiful she is, how she's an angel. And it just gets to the point where no matter how hopeless or romantic you are, you're just like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just. It, it's a it's a little bit overwhelming, let's say. Yeah. It, yeah, there there may or may not be like several lines that get repeated several times, sometimes spe- back to back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, especially towards the climax, because he wants her, you know, to come out, come out and wave at me as I leave so that she'd come out and Dunn would shoot her. And he says, remember, come out and wave at me. Remember, come out and wave at me. He says that over and over. And we're like, we get it. We get it. It's like that you're not very good at pulling off this scheme if you're just like constantly telling this person to do that. If if she were maybe a little bit wiser to the to the she'd like, why is he saying that so much? But yeah, so many lines are repeated. And I think, again, it's all filler to stretch out the movie. And it just yeah, I think when we were talking about this earlier, I do think that maybe part of it was that's kind of like the intertitle. And how they repeated it several times because before this, when you had an inner title, it could take a certain amount of time and it would take that amount of time to kind of just like they could hold that inner title there for that yes. pause. Yes. And they don't know how to do that with, is it with a pause? Right. Do we just stop and let it sink in or do we just say it over again? It's like they didn't know how to trust the audience with, to pay attention enough or to get it enough without the title there to read and comprehend. I'm like, well, plays have been a thing for centuries now. I think people <laughs> know, but they really hold our hands throughout this movie. It's not subtle. If it is subtle, it's more because it's confusing. It's very confusing. Again, I think this would have made a much, it has the style, the kind of melodrama of a silent picture. And it just did not, it just became very clunky when translated to sound. All right. So that's the plot summary. That's our analysis. Shall we Delve rate, right into rate the movie? Let's rate it. Okay. So we have four major categories. We have acting, writing, cinematography, and overall, meaning how well do those three work together. Okay. And we also have our subcategories for bonus points. Uh, costumes and set, boldness, legacy, longevity, and our new category, technical. Technical, yeah. Ooh, we're moving on up. All right, so the acting. 
I'm gonna. That, that's about my reaction too. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a six because I did think Warner Baxter, and I, I do have a crush on him, so I'm biased. He did very well, but I can't. You know, he tried, I guess, within the confines to like give Cisco kids some depth beyond. Uh huh. Yeah, Latin lover. I mean, it's it's. I think he. I mean, especially in comparison to Dorothy Burgess, you know, his accent was not overdone and trite. Yes, a Mexican man definitely should have played him, or a Portuguese man, apparently. <laughs> I'm not sure, but um, I thought he was very good. Like I said, Edmund Lowe was, seems like kind of a charming doofus, except for the stuff coming out of his mouth in this role. But Dorothy Burgess, man, I... She tried but she just was not right for the role i feel like she was given nothing to True. work with too yeah i, I mean, mean it's just like so what character do you play is like well you're an evil vamp now go out there and vogue for a while hit every uh fiery latinx uh stereotype, stereotype. you can and i feel like her makeup is just really offensive and awful and the way they dress and, her and variable and variable and she has varying amounts of brown face which is from scene to scene yeah and she just <laughs> yeah she just overdoes it and is just very unbelievable and uh, i mean she does give it her all i'll give her that but and maybe she's better in subsequent movies but this is a hell of a role to start off your career with. And I, so I have sympathy, but yeah, she brought it down substantially. All right. I'm going to give it a five for pretty much all the same reasons mm -hmm. that you, that you did. I think the actors weren't given great material to work with to no. begin with. I think, um, I think Baxter did. Okay. Yeah. Um, although he was horribly miscast, horribly miscast and in brown face. Yeah. He, is likable enough at first. Yeah, until you get um, to yeah the scenes with Tonya. <laughs> okay, so ooh, this is not going to be either around. How about the writing in this movie? I'm yeah, I'm going to give it a two. A two, just very. I low. thought it was going to go low with a three that first popped into. My I almost head. said three, but I'm like, no, there are no real redeeming. Parts. I guess a few of the lines are funny here and there, but not really. And they're very offensive. Lots of offensive language about women, about Mexicans. Um, Italians, the Italian barber. Oh, the Italian barber. Gosh, you know what? Changed my acting from a six to a five like yours. I forgot about how terrible he was. I mean, that was the most <laughs> offensive portrayal in the movie, in my opinion. Well, not as offensive as Tonya, but up there. Yeah, it was the most extreme. Yeah, it was the I most think. extreme and just not entertaining in the least. Um, and also, so much of it is filler. The repetitive lines, the flowery speeches Cisco Kid gives to Tonya. Yeah, the writing was a mess. It was the real weak point of this movie. You, you've convinced me. I'm going to bump down to match your two. Okay, you, uh, you bumped me down for acting. I bumped you down for writing. All right, cinematography. Slightly more impressive. I mean, those were some cool shots of the desert, I guess. Um, yeah, they had some pretty cool shots. Um, I liked the shots of the rustlers that were trailing Cisco. Oh, that's kid. right. Yeah, I'll give him. I'll give it a, a seven, I guess. 
Seven? I'll give him a six. Okay. Got to got to keep him reasonable. Yeah. Got to keep the movie humble. <laughs> okay. Oh goodness. Costumes and set for. Oh, excuse me. I need to do the bonus round thing. All right. Now we can get to it. Okay. Oh, costumes and set. I mean, they were okay. I mean, those looked like authentic soldier uniforms. I mean, you know, the Cisco Kid was kind of a snazzy, snappy dresser there. Yeah, he was. And, you know, some of... Except for his hat. You know, his, yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not a huge expert on cowboy hats. It seemed okay to me. <laughs> um, and, you know, some of the uh, ladies' dresses were good, so I'll give it a... I'll give it a two, I guess. Two bonus points. Two bonus points. Um... Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it two bonus points. All right. Two two for effort. Um boldness. Just kind of a subjective category, but mm. by which we mean like what kind of risks does it take? Well, I mean, I think it deserves at least a point for filming outside. Being the first no, I guess it's a point. Yeah, the first uh talkie to be filmed outside. Um that was bold, I guess. Bold to Bold to kill the female lead, even if she is a villainess, I think. Um, yes and no. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it would have, I think the boldest thing would have had Tonya and Tony to team up and kill them both. And then just both of them right off into the night with 5,000 bucks. But <laughs> I don't know. I think I'll give it another two, I guess. Two on boldness? Mm-hmm. I'll give it a one specifically because I'm 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 balancing out the point for her getting shot because I do feel like the backwards regressive world that we live in would love to like shoot this harlot. True, true. So I don't know. No, yeah, you're right. I mean But I mean and I also take the point like, yeah, they also shot the female lead. Yeah, you could really argue it both ways. Um, and yeah, I think in retrospect, it would have been much bolder to portray her in a more sympathetic light towards the end, but they didn't. So yeah, I mean, I'll still keep it a two, I guess. All righty. Um, legacy. So legacy being um, how does this influence movies going forward or our society? I mean, I feel like all these early talkies will have some kind of legacy because obviously they earned enough attention to keep talkies going. But that being said, this certainly wasn't the first Western. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't see it really influencing further Westerns. And honestly, any legacy there is, is not a good legacy because you've got (laughs) brown face and sexism and racism. So I'm not going to give it anything for legacy. I'm going to go ahead and agree with you on that one. Um, it's just, I don't see anything about it that carries forward. I mean, no, the outside shots, I guess were pretty impressive use of sound outside such as it was. Right. Well, that was the other thing too. You could do it, I guess. Yeah. It it boldly recorded outside and let's be frank failed. They did fail. They really failed. So maybe they inspired others to do it better, but also, that sound did not come through. I just, I mean, I just, I've never heard, heard of this movie before we watched it. So I just don't think it had any kind of lasting impact uh, 
Baxter did win the Oscar for it. So somehow, somehow, I mean, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure people considered it so brave that he played a Mexican because that's the kind of crap people thought was really. I mean, it's like uh, Redmayne, Eddie Redmayne, a few years ago. I think he won the Oscar. No, he won the Oscar for um, playing Stephen Hawking, but he was nominated for The Danish Girl, where he played a transgender woman and people were, uh, you know, praising him to the skies the cisgender guy playing a trans woman. So that's an unfortunate legacy that's kind of stuck with the movies. You're always praised for playing a disabled person or a person of another uh, sex or a person of another race. It's like, no, we should be having people who are actually transsexual, actually Mexican, actually this or that playing those roles to bring authenticity to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. no, No, no real good legacy from this one. In my opinion. And um, of course, this is the one that we always kind of uh, get a little bit confused, but it's definitely related here. Longevity. Mm. How well does this movie stand up? Not well, zero. Not well, zero. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it just, it. yeah. I mean, I feel like we're being so tough on these early talkies. Because, um, I mean, this was brand new. But I think it's just... It's more than that. It's this was, you know, Hollywood Review was befuddling, mm-hmm. but but this was offensive. This was offensive. This was, and this thought it was a lot better than it was too. Which yeah, is there's that. Yeah, thought it was better. It was offensive, and also just like the bare minimum um, technical aspect of being able to hear the the dialogue mm-hmm. was not there. I mean. I know it was a new technology and everything like that. And it was, you know, challenging what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they, they, they failed. Yeah, they failed. And, uh, no, nobody wins like a technical Oscar for trying to do something. I mean, Warner Baxter does as well as he can in the circumstances, but still terrifyingly miscast. Um, you just don't want him to be associated with this in any way possible. <laughs> I know, I don't. I mean, wait till you see 42nd Street. He is great in 42nd Street. Um, oh, I believe you. I mean, But, you know, he should have known better. That's the thing. They all should have known better than mm-hmm. to do this. I mean, there were Mexican actors, like you said, working in Hollywood. And, you know, I luckily, I feel like we did get, like, Mexican actors and actresses not nearly enough in film playing Mexican people later on. And it's just frustrating that they chose to be innovative by filming with sound outdoors, killing their female lead, but they didn't have the guts to actually hire Mexican actors. Yeah. I mean, true, they would have just been playing stereotypes, but they could have brought their own personal experiences as Latinx actors to make them more fully fleshed characters. Yeah. Without that, we just get a bunch of melodramatic stereotypes that just aren't that entertaining. Yeah. So big fat zero on longevity from both mm-hmm. of us. Technical. This one's kind of tricky, I think, because they put the effort in, but it didn't pay off. Well, yeah. Yeah. I want to give them one bonus point for trying. Yeah. You know, one for one for trying. We are the 
generation, as the boomers like to yell at us about, of participation trophies, even though they were the ones to invent the participation trophies for us, I'd like to point out. So, but it's in our blood to at least give a point for effort. All right. So you're ready for the total? Let's, yeah, I can't wait. I had the genius idea of tallying up the total as we've been along, as opposed to just waiting until the very end. <laughs> But uh, then I won't get to entertain the audience by going while you tally. Well, I'm glad you did that. So we finished tallying. There we go. 36 is what I've got, which puts it ahead of Hollywood Review. Really? Yeah. At least it did have a plot. Yeah. Hollywood Review did very poorly on everything. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we scored it low on acting because there wasn't really any cinematography low because it was a mess. Yeah. Um, that said, gosh, which one would you rather be trapped in a room and forced to watch? Oh my God. Again. Oh, that's, that's mean. That is very mean. You know, in a way, at least Hollywood review is so absurd that it's almost skirts with entertaining sometimes. So I think I'd rather watch Hollywood Review again. Yeah, I think so. Honestly, I felt like they were both way too long. That's the thing. Like, Hollywood Review was like two hours. Yeah. It did not need to be two hours. And but I feel like this movie was fair, had very poor pacing. I'd say the biggest crimes of this movie are the writing, which encompasses the racism and the sexism, and the pacing. Pacing was just painful. Yeah, it was not great. And I mean, classic film lovers, we are not haters. I love old film. But these are just, and I very much realize that they're trying to find their feet in this new medium of sound. But... At the same time, we can't go easy on them either. It was offensive and it wasn't very good. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's the final verdict. That's our downer verdict. You're welcome. Oh, well, before we close out for the evening, should we nominate it for our very prestigious Notsker Award? Well, I want to say no, but what if it turns out this is the best of the bunch? Like, now we've, we've, we've seen we've, Broadway Melody. That's true. Broadway Melody is better than this. <laughs> we've seen, we have seen Broadway Melody and we, uh, and we've seen Hollywood Review and in old Arizona, which I I think was horrifying to find out that in old Arizona was the highest rated according to Rotten Tomatoes at fifty six percent. I don't know how that happened, but yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say no. That's a no on the nomination for me. I'm going to have to say no, too. I mean, there's just too much about this that's just offensive and uncomfortable. And I feel like if we're going to do this with our modern perspective, we can't let him off the hook for that. Yeah, perfect. Perfectly said. And we also have talked a little bit about, well, if this year is so bad, what happens if we don't nominate anybody? And what I proposed was uh, that we just have a no winner, like like a dog show. Well, who knows? What's <laughs> somewhere that we've got Alibi coming mm-hmm. up and one of and the Patriot isn't available, unfortunately. Right. So we can't do the whole 
all of the nominees because unfortunately, being as old as they are, the Patriot is not available. I mean, maybe I'll look around a little online to see if I can find anything. But you're the you're the better researcher than I am. If you haven't found anything, I'm probably not going to. Yeah, find I've, I've been able to locate a trailer, which we'll talk about in its very short episode. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, we could at least go over like the trivia of it. But um, so we've got the alibi and we've already seen Broadway Melody, but I say we're probably going to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Um, are those the only two left for this year? I believe so. So, I mean, unless the alibi really blows me away, I think I'll probably nominate Broadway Melody, at least on my part. I mean, it wasn't great, but compared to the rest, it's a piece yeah, of art. Like, so f- and I found it entertaining at times, too. Oh, yeah. It was it was a fun movie, which, again, we'll, we'll get into in its own episode. Certainly but... more sympathetic female characters than we had yes. in old Arizona. Yes, this is true. So, um, everyone... Keep listening in. Keep listening. Maybe the alibi will change our lives. Maybe the alibi will change our lives. Maybe Broadway Melody, which was rated the lowest on Rotten Tomatoes for some reason. So strange to me. Uh, But yeah. Uh, Thanks to everyone who keep on listening. Yeah. Um, You can contact us on Twitter Twitter. at ComeBackAStar. We got Facebook. We got a Facebook page if you want to contact us on the facebook uh, we have an email address come back a star podcast at gmail.com Ooh. and uh that's it for tonight yeah take care have a good one uh stay safe on that dusty trail Indeed. Mm-hmm.